This is Steve Balton, and welcome back to my turning point. We've taken a little time off, but excited to be back with you and to share this very special conversation with Gavin DeGraw about his superb new album, Face the River. This was a very deep, meaningful conversation that he and I shared. He opened up at great lengths about losing his parents, how that influenced this album. We talked about everything from his companion dog to nightlife in Las Vegas, his influences, and so much more. But really, this is all about him opening up about the deep loss he suffered, how that influenced the album. And I hope that you take as much from this conversation as I did, because it was incredibly profound. Hello. Hey, what's up? How are you? What's going on? I'm good. How are you? I'm Gavin. Steve, how's it going? I'm awesome, Steve. Good. <laughs> How so are where you? Are you today? Shutters. You got real shutters. I do real shutters. Yeah. You wooden shutters. If they're too distracting for you, I can shut them. No, bro. They're awesome. Okay, cool. Well, because Steve Simmons yelled at me for them once, but I'm like, you know what, dude? It's a beautiful day in Long Beach, California. I got to get some sun in here. Yeah, man. Fuck that. Plus, you got real shutters. They're to be celebrated. I've got <laughs> drapes and I hate them. I want shutters. Shutters are kind of cool. So wait, where are your drapes though? Where are you today? Uh, they're right here. I'm in Las Vegas. Ah, okay. And I are you based drapes. in Vegas or just for? Uh... I split my time with Nashville and Vegas. Interesting. That's yeah. an interesting combo. What What about Vegas? Because I know a lot of artists do residencies there, but I'm guessing you're not doing one. No, I love nightlife. So, you know, I love, uh, you know, I got the uh, I got the New York City uh, addiction of living in, in that urban environment for for years and years and things being open really late and having access to great food and great drinks. Um, and so and so once I I moved some stuff around in Nashville just because, you know, I, I lost, you know, I lost some family and stuff and I kind of need to need to get out of town for a little while, sort of feel like I could, I could, uh, get a little bit of a fresh start for a little while. And Vegas was somewhere I didn't have too much of a, of a history already. I needed a little bit of a breakup in scenery. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is a place that people go to escape. No question. Exactly. You know, that's a fascinating thing though, because I talk with artists all the time about how environment affects writing. Yeah. But I don't hear a single trace of Vegas in this record. No, so, absolutely not. Um, and I, and, and there's a reason for that because I wasn't here at all during that process. That's, this is more of a very recent thing. And uh, I was, you know, selling my parents old property uh, in Nashville, um, sold a couple things um, and sort of felt like once I emptied out all their stuff, I just, from a cathartic standpoint, you know, that this was really just uh, about a month ago that I got to clear everything everything out. I'd been avoiding it for quite some time just because it's a little bit too heavy of a process. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been through it. So I do know what you mean. Yeah. I'm man. sorry. It's a uh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So you, you get it. And I'm sorry that you that you have gone through it. And being that you did, though, you and I are part of a fraternity. We never wanted to, to never want to be members of, you know. Nope. And so, and, and so, so here we are, you know, and, uh, and I think the thing that's fucking me up the most about it is I, I, <clears throat> I don't want to be the part of the elderman group of my lineage, you know, and here I am like one of the oldest men in my family and I'm in my mid forties. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and that's weird. I, it is. And it's a very fascinating thing because as I've talked about with people, as again, you and I, like you say, we're part of that club that you really never want to become a member of. But it's once exactly. you're part of it, you understand it forever. And it's interesting because, you know, look, we're going to get deep with this then for a yeah, second. Because, oh, I see your dog in the background, by the way. What kind oh, of sorry you? about that. This is my son. No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's laying on the futon over there. But they're great company, aren't they? They are. They're the best company. Yeah. And, and he looks very happy. Oh, he's the best. And you know what else, Steve? They'll never tell on you. 
Now, <laughs> and they're always happy to see you no matter what, no matter how long you've been gone, no matter oh, yeah. how much you fuck up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he yeah. doesn't know what a bad cook I am when I give him his dry food. He's like, this is great. Thanks. You're the best. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, and it's also when you go through the shit we're talking about, I mean, having that companionship. Oh, man. You it's got, a lot, you know. You got that right, brother. You but it's an interesting thing, right? Because what I was going to say is, look, I talked about this with someone. Music allows you to stay Peter Pan. Music and surrounding it yes. allows you to stay in arrested adolescence. And no I think that's why Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day once told me, he's like, that's why we get into music, right? Yeah. But then real life comes in and takes that shit over. Yeah. And it's fun because you say you in your mid forties, you don't want to be one of the oldest people in your fa- oldest bed in your family. But the reality is, is once I never felt like I had to grow up yeah. until dealing with your parents' illness and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's interesting for you. Yeah. I don't want to get too personal, but taking this mm-hmm. into the music, talk about how all of this then, because this is a beautiful record, but I was telling mm-hmm. Chris before you got on the phone, it's such a great mix of stuff. It's like, there are some really like uh, just the opening gospel of face the river. I was like, dude, that's really, I wouldn't have expected that. It's really interesting. You can feel the heaviness in places. Yeah. So having to grow up and deal with all this stuff, do you feel it in the record? Yeah. I mean, this is uh, a, this record was written from a very therapeutic standpoint. It was assembled from a very therapeutic standpoint. And of course we were going as a at, on a global level, we were all going through an outstanding time already. That very, um, we were going through unprecedented times as a world, right? Not just as a country, as a world, right? And so, when I was making the album, it was I was making the album during that time at the height of COVID, um, and at the height of COVID, when everyone else was, you know, worried that they were going to catch COVID, my father was diagnosed with brain cancer. And so it was, you know, he had just had open heart. Um, He just had, he had just had um, heart surgery. He had a valve replaced and um, he came out of that with a mild stroke and was improving. And then uh, he became more symptomatic stroke like symptoms soon after he came home and wasn't getting better, but it was really hard to, you know, just set up an appointment and go and have him looked at. It was becoming more and more complex and went on for weeks and weeks. It was getting worse and worse. And then he went and insisted on another scan of some sort and they found this brain cancer. And so it was just to get another, just one more fucking thing, you know. Um, <clears throat> and that was not just a thing, but like, another one of the worst things and we had to do it yet the fuck again, you know? And, you know, just a couple of years earlier, my mom had passed six months later, my grandma passed. No, sorry. My mom had passed two weeks later. My grandma passed six months later, my granddad passes. And then, you know, we feel like we're good for a while. And, you know, two years later, whatever my, you know, my dad gets this bullshit and we're told, you know, basically you're fucked. Right. Um, <clears throat> so you're making, I was, I was going in the studio and he really wanted me to make this record. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go in the studio and make this record. Um, and I really felt like it was a race against time to complete this record. So he could hear this record. Of course, I was hoping we'd have some kind of miracle, but you know, I was hoping we'd have a miracle of my mom too. And that shit didn't happen either. And so you know, I was hoping <clears throat> we'd have a miracle with my dad <clears throat> and it didn't happen. And I got to play him this record that I was hoping to be able to finish in time for him to hear. And I, I, the record was completed. I played him the record. I first, I played him three songs from the record a couple weeks earlier. And then I got to play him the record in full um, one day. And then my brother took a, my brother and I took a drive and a half hour later, the phone rang. They said, ah, your dad's, we're having an emergency. Yeah. You know, he had to be rushed to the hospital. And that was the last, really the last time that we could have had time with, with him when he was cognizant, feeling normal other than 
everything else he was going through. Um, and so really I got to play him this album without exaggeration in the nick of time um, until he <clears throat> had this other emergency and basically had to be med medicated, you know, for the next like day and a half and taken out, you know, um, the way that they do, you know. Um, but, uh, but when I played him the first few songs, <clears throat> he said, I wish, I wish your mother could have heard this. And I said, uh, she wrote the record that she wrote the record. And he said, she did. She did write the record. He said, you feel very connected to it, you know, and because it was written out of therapy. Your record was written out of therapy. It's come from a therapeutic place. Um, it was necessary. You know, it was either that or, you know, a psychiatrist and, uh, you know, and then pills. But instead it was, you know, booze and the piano. So that's the, that's how it came about. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, I'm trying not to, you know, this is such a personal record. You went through so much. And dude, I'm probably one of the few people who would understand because my dad was on life support. And then the, literally the day that he went back to work full time, he was on life support in the hospital for two months, was the day my mom had her second heart attack. And three months later, she was gone. Wow. So I, I know what it's like when everything comes at once. So I, I want to be sensitive in how we discuss, but I'm curious, yeah. you know, from a music standpoint, was there one moment early on or one song early on in the writing where you really heard your mom, you know, where you first noticed her presence? Man, let me tell you, <clears throat> every time I would write a song prior to my mother's passing, every song I wrote, every song, I would call my mother and get her opinion. I would always call my mother for opinion. I'd go call them on the phone, show up at their house, their apartment, say, hey, what do you think of this? You know, tote in a guitar or sit at a keyboard. Um, because I respected their musical opinion and their taste so much because they were both really musicians. That's who they were. Now, granted, as you know, when they got older, they got, you know, quote unquote, real jobs, but they weren't that they weren't. That's not how I identified them. That's not how they identified themselves. They were, they were musicians, you know, they were real artistic kind of people, free spirit, you know, kind of people. Um, and so if I was writing something, yeah, I would often just think, God, I wonder what mom would think of this. You know, I wonder I wonder if she'd think about this song, you know, when I wrote hero in our house, um, I wrote right after she passed and, uh, man, I was so worried, um, that I wouldn't do a good enough job writing a song for her, you know, cause you're, you know, what could be worthy of your own mom? You know, there's nothing good enough for your mother. You know, when you think about it, like, what could I give my mom? Right. You can't, you seemingly, when you think about it, there's nothing you can give your mother that could ever equate to what they gave you, right? Um, so I was just trying to do my best job to pay homage um, and, uh, and uh, also to kind of get all this poison out of my body of things that were hurting me, you know, of the, the pain of it. And... Um, and I think also being sincere about the things that go through your head when you lose somebody and you feel like, you know, you, you, um, you know, like you don't deserve it that bad. You certainly feel like they certainly don't deserve it. They didn't deserve to suffer like that. And so not just the sadness, but the anger, you know. His anger, and some people maybe not don't get angry, but well, well, I do, you know, and it's okay for me to be honest about that, you know. It's okay to get angry, you know. 
um, to be angry about things when you feel like it's not right. And uh, I felt like it wasn't right. And, um, and, but I also felt like it was the right thing to do to document that. And so you be honest about that, those kind of feelings, you know, it's not all rainbows and butterflies out there and it's not all happy go lucky. And that's okay, man. That's okay. You know, when you're hurting, that's when you should be making art. You need to document that stuff. And, and, and I, I was hoping that there'd be something there that people who, who weren't getting spoken for would have something to hold on to as well. You know, that they could hear something and go, fuck man. Yeah. I feel that. I, I feel that too. You know, I've been, there. I've been there. I know that. And, uh, and, it, and I need to hear something like that right now, you know, um, just cause I did, I needed to hear something like that because I needed to get it out of me. And, um, but I also wanted to tell the love story to them because if they got a cool love story, you know, they're great times. And, and because of the generation they come from, there's a romanticism from that generation. I mean, these were, they came from, they were baby boomers, man. And they, they were at Woodstock together in 1969. My dad was at Woodstock with my mother with his draft card in his back pocket for Vietnam. He was, he was, had to go to basic training right after that weekend. And, you know, so he didn't want to go, you know, he didn't want to go to war for that purpose. You know, he was a patriot, but he didn't want to go to war for that, like a lot of people. And he was just very honest about that stuff. Um, and, you know, we're from a very interesting place in upstate New York in the Catskills. We're, we're, we're about 20, 25 minutes from the original Woodstock site in Bethel, New York, you know. So we grew up going there and, and hanging out and camping and, you know, playing drum circles and shit like that. When I was a teenager on the anniversary years, you know, on the anniversary days of it. And there was this really cool um, influx of people from around the world who would show up and be and, and be in that environment and celebrate that music festival that happened. Um, and it was just uh, one more thing that made that place interesting and added sort of to the, the local culture and also something that my parents like to talk about was that that element of, of upstate, you know, that, that we don't want to forget something cool that happened, you know. And, uh, and I, I document that in, in, in uh, Johnny's song, in Freedom, the song Freedom. It's all, it's all about how we came up, how we grew up, and about their background, you know. My dad's favorite song was called Brothers in Arms. They played it at his funeral. It's a Mark Knopfler song. Tire Straits, yeah. That's exactly right. Now, my mother was in the reserves. My dad had been in the Army. And I reference, I say, in the bridge, I mentioned, went to Woodstock with his draft papers in his back pocket for Vietnam, working in the slammer. My dad was a prison guard. Working in the slammer, did hard times. Did hard time, went through hell together. Yet they die for each other. These lovers in arms. So I make a lot of references to, you know, using brothers in arms, but making it lovers in arms. And I really try to tie together very intimate things, you know, within the family. You know, my dad had a Chevy pickup truck. It had one album in it. It never came out. It was a Willie, Willie Nelson tape. And uh, there were five of us. He worked for the New York State Department of Corrections. And in the summer times, he'd, uh, he, he'd mow lawns, try to pick up extra money and stuff like that, build picnic tables, he was welding stoves, you know, building wood stoves. They do what it took, right? And we were real, you know, church, you know, real church people, you know. So we were at church at least once a week. Mom insisted church at least once a week, sometimes twice. <laughs> and uh, so, so, like, I take you through the first verse of, of Freedom. It's my, my dad's name was Wayne, but it was actually John Wayne DeGraw. So I say, Johnny's got a family of five and he works for the state. He got dead setter piling high in an old Chevrolet. Willie on the dash playing tunes. Smells like grass because he's covered in June. Picking up extra cash mowing lawns with the kids. Stained sneakers walk through the church as he kneeled down to pray. Saying, please, Lord, have pity on us. Take our troubles away. 
these seeds that we're planting with you, we hope one day, oh Lord, will come true. I remember even right now that look on his face. Then I defer to me and my friends and my brother and sister. So we'd get high and we'd ramble, get drunk and we'd gamble. Teenagers cruising at 75, singing Sweet Home Alabama. Stay out all damn weekend. Sundays are for sleeping. Nobody leaving this planet alive. Might as well enjoy your freedom. Yeah, freedom. You know, and I thought it was important just to really document the, you know, the blue collar American life story that I think is getting ignored a lot. And, you know, Springsteen did it. Billy Joel did it. And and this is a part of America that of working America that is is not spoken about in in a lot of music right now. But I wanted to pay homage to these people who are grinding it out every day, trying to provide for their family, doing their version of what they think is best for their family. You know, the hardworking American story. Then my mom signed up for the re- for the Army Reserves because she wanted, you know, college money. She wanted to get her master's. She wanted to, you know, make more money for the family. So the second verse, I say, you know, Ma says she's going to enlist and the Corps pays for school. They'll have more money they could work with if she just had the tools. John says what you think what you think's best. I'll work doubles and make and make up the rest. Still drowning college debt. I'll never forgive or forget. You know? Yeah. And so and so <clears throat> um I just I just want to tie that in and 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 remember people's sacrifices for 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 us. I mean, they slaved for us and their story is not, it it doesn't belong just to them. That's a, that's a good portion of the public, you know, that needs to be treated like the day, the daily heroes that they are. Cause they are. It's, it's so fast. Look, Springsteen's my favorite artist of all time. My number one, you know, the great, and it's interesting because as he got older, he became very comfortable talking about the fact, look, this was not me. You know, in the Broadway special, he talks about the fact, he's like, I worked one honest day's work in my entire life. Wow, lucky lucky Bruce. <laughs> yeah, he talks about the fact that he basically was like, yeah, you know, he he like was, I don't remember what he said. It was, oh, it was like building, it was working on houses or something to save money for a guitar, you know? <laughs> and then of course the rest of his career was making music. But why I bring that up is, look, man, I mean, he still has managed from his parents, from their lives. That's right. To speak to something that millions of people have gone through. And that's what makes great music is creating universality. Yeah. As you're talking about this, these are your parents, 100%. You yeah. have put in every detail yeah. of your parents. But at the same time, for the song to work, it has to be something that resonates with everyone who sees their parents in it or their life story in it. And it's interesting for you as you started to realize, you know, as you were telling your parents' story, was there a moment where you realized that way, okay, this is something that, yes, I'm literally putting in the details of what my parents did on a daily basis or, you know, key moments in their life, but it's something that, you know, someone in freaking Turkey or someone in Japan or someone, you know, in California or New York has seen their parents do. Absolutely. And it, I think you're, I think you're a hundred percent spot on. And I think that, you know, a, a song like freedom is a song that anybody who appreciates hard work will identify with, whether they are the one doing the work or witnessing the work that's been done for them. And um, <clears throat> I remember when I was playing that song at, at the time, my folks were still alive. My mom was, um, she was going through her treatments. And uh, like, I didn't know how to finish that chorus. I didn't know. I didn't know what the last lines of that chorus should be. Nobody's leaving this planet alive. And I didn't know what to say next. Finally, I finished it. And I went in and I said, I got to play this chorus. And when I got to nobody's leaving this planet alive, might as well. And no, I didn't have nobody's leaving this planet alive. I went da 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 da, and I have that line yet, 
And when I finally got to the line, I said, nobody leaving this planet alive. My dad uncontrollably went fucking right. And I thought, wow, I struck a chord with dad. It's a hard thing to do. He was no bullshitter. And, you know, my dad was the kind of guy I'd walk in, I'd write a song. I'd say, hey, what do you think of this lyric? And he would say, I think you could do better. You know, says that was his, just who he was. And when I said, nobody leaving this planet alive, he blurted out, fucking right. He, I hit, I, I, I hit him there, you know? And I thought, wow, I, I feel like I did it. I got dad. It's hard to do, man. And uh, might as well enjoy your freedom. And I thought, wow, I think I finally, I think I finally got this chorus right. I think I finally got this chorus right. But then at the end of that song, I turned it and made it and brought them back around to remind every, to remind myself and remind the listener that they were young too. They were children too. And I think what happens is, you know, you forget every generation looking at the one older than them or two, three generations past them, they think they're just looking at old geezers. Oh, I'm looking at some old people, blah, 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 blah. You know, I watched this great interview about a year ago. There's this African lady. She was over 100 years old. She was hanging out with all her great-great-grandchildren. And and all her great-great-grandchildren, she said something really cool when she gave her birthday speech. She said, I just want to remind all you young girls who are here who like to giggle at grandma, I was young once too. And uh, I thought that was so cool. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, wow, she just, she just samurai'd all of them. She just slayed everybody in that place and reminded them that grandmas had a full life, you know, great, great grandmas had a full life. And so at the end of this song, at the end of Freedom, I say, they'd get high, they'd ramble, get drunk, and they'd gamble. When they were younger, like everyone else, like you couldn't blow out their candle, stay out all damn weekend, Sundays are for sleeping, nobody leaving this planet alive, might as well enjoy your freedom, oh freedom. It's because I wanted to bring it back to them that they also were young, they were children, they, were, they had the wind in their hair in their hair. They were wild. They were free. They were carefree. And what better generation to think about of being carefree and, and, and freewheeling and open, just open to possibility than the hippie generation, right? So, uh, you know, the, a group of people who actually were at Woodstock and, you know, during, during these, these wild and interesting um, socio-political times of, of, of the 1960s, you know? And so I just, there's a romanticism with it for some, at least for me, when I, when I think back on it and I hear them talk about their, you know, their youth and uh, so... Yeah, that's a fascinating thing, man, because I think it's a normal thing to forget that about your parents until, look, man, I mean, when my mom passed, I had to go through all her stuff and you're going through and you're seeing this and it's like, I'm finding love letters about some guy named Corey. I'm like, who the fuck is Corey? You know, you don't worry. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, I mean, it's not even that. It's just like, who is this? You're like, who is this person? You know? yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, for you, you know, look, man, it's, it's, I mean, I talk with artists all the time, right? You have new music. You're really excited to play it live. Sure. Is it going to be difficult to play these songs live? Is that something that you've thought about? Because I remember talking with Jerry Cantrell about it, about a song called Heard a Long Time. I'm like, I feel like that song just cuts to the bone. He's like, man, you had a good ear. It was written about his grandmother who passed away. Mm. You know, Mm. is there stuff on here that you, are there songs that you are excited to play live or songs that you're just apprehensive about? You're like, you know what? Because again, I mean, sometimes the music is just made for you. It comes out, but it's made for you. No doubt about it. A lot of it was made for me. You know, it was written from, you know, a lot of these songs were just really written as therapy, right? 
um, <clears throat> and coping mechanisms, et cetera. But also from a standpoint of, I want to memorialize these people. These people were, were amazing. I want them to live on. I want them to be remembered. I want these people to be celebrated. These are, these, these are great. These are exciting people. These are the best of the best. And I want to celebrate them. They're just the coolest. <laughs> the fucking, I can't explain it. They were just the best, you know, like in every possible way. And so, um, and so, yes, there's definitely songs here that I am, uh, I'm wondering how I'm going to get through some of it. But that's also why I waited so long to go out and tour this material. I needed to give it time to breathe. For me, I needed to give it time to breathe. I needed to, you know, um, I didn't want this to be, uh, you know, a funeral march of a, of, um, you know, of a tour or a funeral march of, um, of a, of a run, you know, on, on the road. I knew that I'd have to give this thing some, some time to breathe for my sake. Um, because I also don't want to feel, um, that heaviness when I'm walking into a room or I'm on stage, I don't want to, I won't be delivering it in that, in that capacity. This is going to be, uh, this is going to be material that's, that's delivered in good spirits. And these are songs that are going to be delivered in good spirits with a lot of, you know, the brightest versions of, of how, you know, how to, how to memorialize these awesome people. Um, and, you know, uh, because I look at them the way, way a lot of people look at, you know, a parent, um, which is that they're your, your idol. They're your hero. I won't be, you know, telling sad stories about my hero. I'm telling you, I'm telling you about talking about them the way I would talk about Muhammad Ali's first win, you know? So, you know, because it's exciting to me, I'm talking about my, Literally, I'm, 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 I'm talking, as far as I'm concerned, the way, the way someone would discuss seeing the Statue of Liberty for the first time. So, you know, this is a celebration of, of, of great people with the most outstanding outlook on life, with, with the, the greatest free spirits of telling you to be a dreamer and that nothing can stop you. And, you know, it's just, it's just all the things that you needed to hear when you needed to hear them, you know. Um, and uh, and so I wanted to give myself some time to be able to put all that together in my, in my mind and assemble it in, in, the, in the best possible way. And hopefully I'll be able to deliver it uh, the way I have it in my head right now um, and, uh, and, and have people uh, really walk away feeling like, like I represented these people well. And also that as an audience, that, that my audience feels like they've been represented you know, in a way that perhaps some music isn't made anymore. Well, let's wrap up on these two points. But one, you know, it's interesting going back to what you were talking about, the anger. And look, again, having gone through it, sometimes it's just fucking easier to be angry than it is to be sad. Sometimes it just gets exhausting being sad. And you're like, you know what? (laughs) I'd rather just be mad at the world because it's fucking easier. Yeah, It's interesting when you think of the music that, helped you through that time from other people and because again we've all gone through those periods of anger or sadness or whatever what are those albums that speak to you when you think back to being younger and you know it's funny because a lot of times too man you 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 know you hear music and it's only later on that you can fully appreciate you know what it is and i always go back to like my favorite song of all time is james taylor fire and rain so good well, look, because 18 years old, right? You hear it and it's like, yeah. you think about whatever you think about at the time, never seeing your friends again or your fucking high school girlfriend when you're going yeah. to college, right? Yeah. And then, you know, 30 years later, you lose a parent and you realize what it really signifies. So for you, what were those songs that you either loved or that you you developed a new appreciation for as you're making this? Because, you know, you realize how much they spoke to your feelings. Boy, there's a, I mean, there's so much material. Um well, first, firstly, you know, of course, there's going to be a, a, you know, a great song like The River, you know, like Springsteen, you know, where you're just feeling like you're getting these, these 
these honest, this blue, this blue collar poetry, you know, that is representing these lifestyles that aren't, that aren't treated like, like the, the great folk art that they are, you know, like they need to be celebrated with this, with this great folk art, you know, and, um, and I'm, I'm just doing my best to, to, to do a version of that. And of course, you know, you, you listen through these albums so many times and you listen to them to the point where you almost can't listen to them anymore. And, um, you may, then, then you feel like, well, I think I'm all out of, out of songs, uh, that, that represent a story that I've heard. I need to write my own, uh, you know, um, you know, the way you hear like, uh, yeah, I, you know, huge Billy Joel fan, you know, and, you know, moving out, you know, you're hearing these great, you know, conversational real life stories. And you're thinking, I identify with that. I identify with that. You identify with the river. You had, for me, one of my favorite songs ever, 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 ever is, is, uh, Sam Cooke, a change is going to come. And because I, <clears throat> since the first time I heard it, I, I heard how broken he felt. And of course, you know, I can't say, uh, oh, I identify with that song because of, of certain things, but the things that I identify with that song, is I identify uh, being broken or feeling like there isn't going to be an opportunity you know, from a prison town. You know, it's not like I can just, you know, tap my parents and say, hey, guys, you know, give me a, if you give me $10,000, let me turn that into something for you. You know, I, it was, you know, there really was no financial help there and there weren't exactly a bunch of connections in, uh, you know, in Fallsburg, New York, where I'm from. Um, but I identify with the song, like a change is going to come because I, I felt the pain of feeling like I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I am stuck here. I don't have any opportunity. I'm just another broke dude, you know, and I don't know how I'm going to make this happen. Uh, I, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. And, um, so, and, and, you know, when I wrote, uh, face the river, that was, I wanted to write my own version of a change is going to come. I want to write my own version of Jimmy Cliff, many rivers to cross, you know? Um, and, and, and so I, I just feel like there's such great American, um, um, uh, with, with, with Sam Cooke, I feel like there's such, he's such a great American artist. The way I feel that, uh, you know, Billy Joel is a great American artist and, and, you know, I don't categorize music the same way a lot of people do of, Oh, it's soul music. It's country. It's folk. When I hear a great American artist like a Sam Cooke, a Springsteen's a Taylor, I say that's American music. You know? I, I make American music, so I don't fit within the parameters necessarily of any of the classic categories. Just because I love music, not a category of music, and um. And so I wanted to write music that was a reflection of my, my passions of music, which are, which, which are vast, you know, but anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's all great songs and it's interesting too, because there's so many good you know, songs out there, man. Is it yeah. Seeger, man? Like, you know, when I, when I hear, you know, we got tonight, you know, I mean, uh, a song like that where you really only need a, a voice and a piano to execute the storytelling of that. It's just so moving. It's just, it's just so much depth there, you know? Yeah. Well, it's interesting when you go back and hear this record as a work all the way through. And I, I mean, well, look, assuming you can go back and listen to it all the way through, it may just be too close still. But you said you gave it some space. When you listen to this as a work all the way through, what do you take yeah. from it? I take that it was a wild time. It was a wild time. It was emotional. And it was a roller coaster. And, you know, you have a song like um, um, Chasing Wind. 
And yeah, I mean, that's, that's not a mom, dad song. That's a, the world is a crazy place right now. People are, you know, we're all going through it and it's, there's so much um, back and forth here. And, and, you know, this is the, this is the plane that's going down in flames, you know, and it's a horrifying time, um, you know? Um, and so, so it's, it is, it's a, it's a ride, man. It's a ride, you know? And, and, um, but at the same time, you know, then you have those songs that let you rest easy, like summertime that are just like that innocent, sweet love story, that groove. It's just, it's just pretty, it's sexy, you know, it's, it feels light and it feels, you know, you could, you could, you could dance around the yard, man. Um, and so I, I feel like it's, it's coming from that, from that place. It is the wild ride. It is that roller coaster. And, um, it's certainly not an angry record. Um, it's certainly not a sad record. I just feel like it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something you want to put on and put your phone on. Do not disturb. And, and I feel like, I feel like you can, I feel like you can immerse yourself in, in, in the songs and the stories for a change um, um, rather than having to be entertained by 90 other things. Um, because I didn't just write it because it rhymes, you know, there's, there's real lives attached to this and, um, and I'm proud of them. I'm proud of those lives. Cool. What do you want to add? We didn't talk about. What do you want to talk about brother? <laughs> I think I'm good, dude. I really appreciate you doing this. And it's, it's funny because it's, uh, you know, I mean, look, but I've been there and it's not easy stuff to talk about at all. Yeah. And, man. you know, to have to get out there and, and, you know, explain it and stuff. And it's, you I know, know, and I mean, I can, I can see just in doing the interview, obviously it's still really emotional for you and understandably, you know, it is man. You know, the, the thing it is, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, but you know, also the thing is like, I was really, really, really clear with my guys here, my team and, and my label and, and management, et cetera, that I also want to make sure that, you know, that people knew, like, I didn't want this to be written and delivered in a way that, you know, oh, mom, dad, dad died, mom died, dad died, buy my record. No, that's not what this shit's about for me. This was a therapy record and, and a celebration record. And, you know, I just, you know, I want them to, I want them to live forever. And this is the only way I knew how. That's it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad at least for you, you have that release. Cause yeah. I appreciate I love it. That too, the dog's lifting his head in the background. He's like, dude, are we done yet? Can <laughs> Check him out. I'm telling you, man, this dog, this was a God thing, man. This dog yeah. was a God thing. And I'll tell you why. I was out for a drive. A few years ago, I was uh, outside of Nashville. I went for a drive in the country. And there's all these dump trucks zipping up and down this country road. Because, you know, the market's hot out there and people are buying stuff. I was cruising out there on this farmland. And I saw some lady crying on, on, on her yard. So I hit the brakes and I pulled into the um, driveway. And I said, hey, uh, is that your dog? She said, yeah, he must have been chasing that, that squirrel. There's a dead squirrel in the road. And this dog was like a hundred feet off the road. So this dog must've got hit and just thrown into this woman's yard. She's crying. And, um, I said, Hey, um, you want me to bury him for you? She said, would you mind? I said, no, no, not at all. Not at all. She walks me, um, to her shed. And it was the most organized shed I've ever seen in my life. I mean, to, to a T man. I mean, a pickaxe had a, you know, was outlined. So in case someone else used it, they knew where to put it back. And each individual shovel was outlined. Every kind of shovel you've ever seen in your life, spades, you name it, right? So I grabbed a pickaxe and a shovel and I'm digging this hole. And I buried this dog for this woman. She's crying. She's telling me, my husband's overseas. He's in the military. This is my daughter's dog. She's just absolutely heartbroken. So we bury this dog. And, um, you know, like a month or so later, I'm, I'm on a road trip and I, I end up in, in Texas and I'm refueling in the middle of the night. And this dog presents himself to me. I did not want a dog at all, but he presents himself to me in the middle of the night. He almost got run over by a truck, but apparently he really liked chicken McNuggets and I happened to be holding a box of them. <laughs> <laughs> so 
<laughs> he came over, he sat down on my foot and I waited there for about an hour and a half. I wanted to make sure I wasn't stealing somebody's dog, you know? Um, so nobody comes and he stinks like skunk and he's got fleas and he's got worms and all this stuff. Right? I realized once I took him to the bed, but I thought, The universe gave me this dog for doing someone a solid, you know, and I needed him at the time. It was a couple of days before Thanksgiving and I had my, I already lost my mom and I walked into my dad's apartment and he goes, and the dog was right next to me. He goes, that dog would die for you right now. I had him for like a day and a half, two days. I said, you think, huh? He goes, he is completely attached to you he has attached himself to you gavin you have to keep that dog and uh and so i feel like it was like a if there could be a god thing it was a god thing you know and um and he, you know what they say man dog is god spelled backwards so oh that's great that's great i haven't heard that i oh, really i love that well, I actually like dogs better than people. So, oh yeah. man, well, what's not to like, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you know, you know, you never have to doubt their intentions. They're they're pretty, they're they're pure almost all the time. You know, eat, sleep, shit, piss. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> yeah, hug. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it's true. They would do anything for you. Yeah, yeah. So, no. yeah, I think I think you're I think you're right. I I just feel like he he. He adds a lot and, and he, he definitely helped me, um, is helping me, you know, he's just, he's, that's my shrink. He's my shrink. Yeah. You know, no insurance necessary. Yeah. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, you know, in a weird way, it was a pleasure because, you know, I let me say it a weird way because obviously we touched on some very heavy stuff and you've gone through a lot, but I really enjoyed the conversation and Man, I, I appreciate you your honesty and. Dude, it's funny because you and I got, again, I feel like it's a good, because you and I have gone through so much similar shit. It's funny. I had my dogs a senior rescue very similar quickly. I only had him maybe two weeks in one of the houses he had lived in before me. They had kids and they wanted to see the dog, you know? Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, fuck it. I'm going to take him and, you know, see yeah. what happens. Yeah. And the woman was telling me like, you know, he had lived with them for months. He'd only been with me for like maybe two weeks at the time, but I had gone out to the Valley to get him. Because the house he was in was going to put him in a shelter. And he was old arthritic, pit mix. I'm like, if that dog goes in a shelter, he's never coming out. Of course not. So I drove to the valley to get him, brought yeah. him home. And two weeks later, I took him to a park to meet up with his family. And the woman was like, God, he looks at you so lovingly already. He's oh, so loyal to you. But great. they know as soon as they, as soon as you save them, they know. They feel it, right? Yeah. I think as you're they, right. Bro. They can trust you, you know? I think you're right, man. I think you're a hundred fucking percent right because he just, man, he just look at this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the funny, funny thing is, first time, first time I brought him home, right? Oh, uh, hold on, dude. Here's mine. Just yeah. passed out the whole time. <laughs> just you know, as long as I'm close by, he's like, I'm passed out. You know, that's it, man. They're the fucking best, bro. So yeah, when I first brought him home, man, um, I went into a, to practice piano man i go to the go to the piano and he had never heard me sing before and you know singing never came easy um it, it's something i like to do but it's it's like a full body thing for me and uh and so I, he comes over and he sits next to the piano and i start playing and singing and he thought something was wrong he started freaking out like are you okay you know what's going on you know who do i who do i who do I call? How do I get them? You know what I mean? He started running around the room barking and he would, and he would grab my, uh, my hands, my wrists and was slapping my forearms off the piano seeing, you know, are you okay? You know, and he, <laughs> and he, and it went on for days and days until he kind of finally got used to it. But I had scratches all over my fucking arms. It's hysterical. But he learned, he learned. Yeah. Yeah, man. All right, dude. I will let you go. Pleasure. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for your time, man. Really appreciate it, Adam. Thanks. We'll see you. Sorry. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it, bro. It's all good. Adam's the producer. Yeah, exactly. I was like, looking at the wrong fucking thing. 
<laughs> Thanks again, dude. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Have a good one. See ya. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Gavin DeGraw. Cry, try, and try. Try, try, and try. Try to face the river I cannot cross. That's all. Why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Because our Sleep Number 360 smart bed is really smart. It senses your movement and automatically adjusts to help keep you both comfortable. Plus, it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. It's even smart enough to know exactly how long, how well, and when you slept, and to help you get almost 30 minutes more restful sleep per night. Sleep Number takes care of the science. All you have to do is sleep. And now, during our Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed Queen now only $19.99, only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.